Welcome to the Be Ruthless Show, where we have the conversations that other people don't, the conversations that other people won't. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and I'm ready to make a lot of noise and disrupt things ruthlessly. Thanks for being here today. Now let's get to it. Welcome back to the Be Ruthless Show. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and thank you for joining me during these holiday episodes where so many people deserve time off, but so many others are still struggling, and I did not want to take a break from episodes that many, many people need during the difficult holidays that so many others think are just easy and simple. So what I decided to do is give you highlights from Healing Together Through the Holidays, which was Grief Hab's first annual event during National Grief Awareness Week. And no one knows National Grief Awareness Week exists. So during that week with an extra eighth day of bonus material, because I couldn't squeeze it all into one week, uh, I featured over 50 speakers from all over sharing uh, their different types of loss and all the different ways that they have learned to get through it, all the different resources and all the different modalities. So I selected some of the most powerful talks. They're all extremely powerful, but some of the ones that I have gotten a ton of feedback about that they were really easy to watch and get through while others were a little bit more triggering and led to some emotions. And maybe we want something that we can get through without getting really into our feelings, something that gave us quick, simple tools to use right away, um, and something that can apply to all different kinds of loss. So while I think you can tune into absolutely any talk from the event, which is still available, even though the live part of it is over, the library is still there. You can click the links, register, and access all of that material uh, because the holidays are still happening, people are still struggling, and these resources help. Um, so these talks are just some of the ones that really hit home with people dealing with all different types of things. So thank you for being a part of this community and being a part of what helps me get through my world without Jim physically here. Uh, I hope that this will inspire you to please, please share these resources with people in your world because people do struggle silently. Grief never ends, but it is invisible. Um, consider sharing the awareness calendar that has not only National Grief Awareness Week, but all of the awareness days and weeks and months that this world needs to be acknowledging and devoting, devoting more time and energy to and more resources uh, and, and having a calendar on the wall that reminds you of International Widow's Day. You know, maybe that makes you think of calling someone who is a widow and who can just use a little extra support. It means so, so much. Uh, and there's hundreds, hundreds in here. I'll just pick another uh, World Suicide Prevention Day. So, so many days and dates. Grab yours, share the event, share the calendar, share the resources. And I hope you will enjoy these highlights and go look and listen to all of the other talks. Um, until next time, always be ruthless. See you soon.
Welcome back to Healing Together Through the Holidays. Thank you so much for being here. We are with award-winning speaker and best-selling author, Jesse Brizendine, who is a world-renowned expert who works with individuals and organizations to move beyond their limitations, unlock their greatness, and build their Camelot. Business leaders, Hollywood celebrities, entrepreneurs, C-suite executives, medical professionals, edu and educators have utilized Jesse's services to achieve unprecedented levels of personal mastery and fulfillment. Jesse has helped mentor more than 4,000 people on their healing journeys, and he's a big fan of buffets, professional wrestling, and finding the silver lining in any situation. Thank you for making time before you head out wherever you are off to next uh, for such an important topic. Thank you, Samantha, and, and thank you so much for holding the space for such an important topic, especially this time of year when any of us who have been through it, which obviously if you're attending this, you've been through it, know that this time of year brings with it a little bit extra emotional weight than most. So the fact that you have poured so much into it and disrupted your life so much to try to accommodate all the people coming on to contribute, it, it really speaks volumes to you as a person and your commitment to really helping support people through arguably one of the most challenging and difficult things any of us will ever go through in life. Thank you for that. Um, it's difficult. Many people are watching at bed, in bed, midnight, 3 a.m. Uh, some were afraid to come out, even in the grief space where mm -hmm. it would be a more ca compassionate environment. Uh, you're so open with your journey. Uh, how did you get there as a man in a world that doesn't support feelings, let alone feelings around this topic? Gosh, that's such a great question. My my first experience with loss, and you and I were talking about this online, and, and something I really appreciate about what you're doing is you've been holding space for grief, but looking at it in all forms. So the grief that can come with the loss of a job, that can come with a loss of a relationship, not just with death. And my first real encounter with it was through a loss of a relationship. It was the first, it was the first broken heart, first time I had gone through a serious breakup and I was feeling stuff that I had no idea what to do. I, I mean, it was <clears throat> it was so consuming that I would wake up. Well, if I could even sleep, first of all, right? If I could even sleep, because you would you live, you're sitting there at night, your mind won't turn off, your heart's racing. You, you in between the crying, there's the anger, there's the what ifs, there's the and relationships, it's such an interesting thing, right? They're different than death because death, there's almost this accepted finality with it where the relationships are so many more of those what ifs and if onlys that kind of swirl around it, it, with a different emotional attachment to it. And so I would, I, I mean, that first time, I, I think I lost 25 pounds in the first two weeks because I couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. And I remember getting to this point where I thought, gosh, I have to I cannot be the only person because my guy friends would tell me, oh, you just need to get back out there, you know, jump in bed with somebody else, that kind of, you know, go get them tiger advice. That is, I think, one of the things that really produces some of that toxic, uh, you know, not toxic masculinity, but the toxicity in men where we, we feel like we can't be vulnerable. We can't open up. We can't share because big boys don't cry and real men are supposed to tuck it, you know, suck it up. And when I started asking myself that question, I really made a decision. That decision was, I cannot be the only one. That question turned into a decision from, I can't be the only one that's feeling this way to, I can't be the only one feeling this way. 
And if that's really true, what could I do about it? Is there something I could share? And this was back in the days of MySpace. And MySpace at the time had these, gosh, it was like a bulletin board, community bulletin board type thing. And I started to go on this community bulletin board thing and post as a, a pseudonym I made for myself and would just start talking about how I was feeling and if there's other people going through it. And then people started to respond to some of the threads I was putting up. And so I was counseling people, you know, I was talking to them, I was just sharing, I was being empathetic, I was being a good listener. And I didn't have, you know, the education, the skills, the tools I do now, but realizing there was that, that need for it, I ended up creating a website that was my first website. And it was just basically a resource for people who are going through loss, who are going through hardship. And I remember when that happened, I, I didn't tell anybody I did it. I had no idea about how to put a website out into the world, any of those kinds of things. I had one friend who I was talking with at, around this time who I'd shared with her what was going on. And I told her I'd put the website up. And I remember less than two days after the site went live. And, and the whole kind of premise of the website was as if my pain could be used to help just one person then it would have some sort of purpose with it. There would, it wouldn't just be this, this suffering that I had felt like I'd been going through. There was a guy and he lived in Northern Oregon, I think. And he wrote in and he said that he had, he had met a girl when they were in high school or college. They had this wonderful relationship and then circumstances changed. It must've been high school. And then one of the families moved across country. Fast forward 25 years and they reconnect after life has happened and they have this wonderful, amazing romance. They're together. They think they're going to be together forever. And then something happens and they end up coming apart. He had gone through counseling. He had gone through therapy. He felt like he just was at his wits end and there was nothing else that he could do. And he had made a resolution to end his life. And he said, somehow he stumbled across this website that had put up. And he said, what it was about it was reading another man's story and the way I was articulating it, he said it was the first time he felt like he wasn't alone. And he said, I mean, it makes me tear up even think about it. I haven't thought about this in years, but he said, you know, you had mentioned that if you could help one person, it would be worth it. He said, you didn't just help me, you saved my life. And I realized then, gosh, there's something here too. And you had mentioned, you know, some people we can't quite get out of bed, even with the, the vulnerability that comes with the space. I would argue that one of the hardest things going through this process is that feeling that we're alone because the feeling is so foreign. It is so, it's so visceral and it is so unlike anything else we've ever been through. And so it, in that of itself, it is so isolating. And I would just, I would say to anybody who's listening, watching right now, who's, who's been in, who's in the community, reach out. Samantha's created this incredible community here. Reach out, lean into the resources she's provided, lean into the, all the wisdom that's being shared because I know how isolating it feels. I know how lonely it feels. I know how trapped it feels. And the fastest way or the surest way rather out of that is by leaning on others who get it, who have been where you are, who have felt what you have felt, who have, who have thought what you're thinking, who have run through the emotional gamut that you're running through right now, who have, you know, endured sleepless nights, the weight loss, the weight gain, all the stuff that comes with it. it it's, it is something that I really believe healing is not a individual sport. It's a team effort. And that's my story. Jim and I mm. were together in our twenties. We knew we were meant to be. We both had growing up to do, you know, we were really career driven. It, it was just, if we got married, then we would have gotten divorced. We really both know it and said it. We really would have. Wow. 
And during our time apart in Michigan, he moved to Colorado. So when we reconnected, and I'm not the tech or social media person, he found me the minute I created LinkedIn, five days later. Seriously, he was wow. always looking for me. And for football fans, uh, Lions were at the Silverdome. My family had season tickets. We always went. When they moved to Ford Field, couldn't find me anymore because my seats changed. So, <laughs> I mean, it really went that deep. Uh, he said, wow. please don't make me move back to Michigan. Please don't. So you really do feel like, yes, millions of people lose their spouse. Even once I was 44 thinking widows are 70, um, you realize, wow, there are people in their 40s. But how many lost that sweetheart? Someone else did. So it is so hard to want to let people in because you feel like no one gets it. But you can do it online. You can do it with your camera off. You can do it if you need face. You can find whatever works for you. If you don't want a human, you can do animal therapy. You know, there yeah. is some way. And that's what this is about, finding what will work for you. Uh, but letting anyone in so that you're just not alone. I had no clue why I was working with Jack Canfield, which is another one of our connections. And we've had so many speakers from our community on I had no clue why I was doing it, Um, but those people who are now family lifted me when I couldn't stand, told me I could breathe when I couldn't breathe. You know, it's Mm. the people who are strangers who don't care. My family and friends are amazing, but they do that comparing thing. Yeah. Uh, So we do need new people in the grief space uh, as hard as that might be. Um, so your community is also wonderful. Can you share? Yeah, you know, my, I resolved long ago that in a world that fear and mediocrity, fear and mediocrity are all, are arguably two of the biggest businesses that I wanted to be in the business of you know love kindness and and i wanted my my work my life to be really modeled off of those things and that is really what i've resolved to do since then you know it's it's the thing it's extra thank yous it's extra i appreciate you it's extra i'm grateful for yous it's the taking the time to reply to you just, you know, pretty any, any comment, email, things that come in, even if it takes sometimes more than it should, more time than I would like to admit it does take, it, you know, just doing those things because it's that piece that we're all wanting to be seen, heard, understood, feel like we matter, feel like we're enough, feel like we belong, feel like we're loved. And especially when we're in the space of going through a loss, I, I had the, I had the really incredible opportunity last week to be at a, attend a dinner with Oprah Winfrey. And Oprah was saying, you know, I've sat with 35,000 people, 35,000 people she's talked to in her illustrious career. And that's probably a conservative estimate, right? And you think about the breadth of people Oprah's talked to, you know, heads of state, the the titans of industry, some of the most creative people in the world. And she said, what I know for certain is there's three things. Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be heard. 
and everybody wants to know they matter. But what she added to the matter, she was said she wanted to, people want to know that they matter enough that their words mean something enough to the to the person they're speaking to, that they'll gift them with their presence. And think about how powerful that is, right? Like because we've all been there before. We go out to dinner. It's 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 you and I go out to dinner, but we get a so we get a table for four, but really there should be a place setting for we get a table for two, but there should be a place setting for four because we sit down and we have our two phones on the table with us. You know, we've all been there before. We're sitting there. We're, we're, oh, we can't wait to catch up with this person. And they're down there doing this, typing away. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, just a second. Or they're, oh, yeah, you can keep talking. I, I'm paying attention. No, 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 you're really not. And so what she was saying is, is it's it's willing to put the device down and be right here, eye to eye, heart to heart, you know, spirit to spirit, soul to soul. And to be able to know that whatever is coming from that person, there's nowhere else you'd rather be. And I, I was really curious about this because I was like, gosh, is, is Oprah, you know, is she saying this? Is it kind of lip service or she practiced it? And after she shared her remarks, they did this brief Q&A and the lady who was asking her a question was seated to Oprah's left. And the chairs were kind of sat, you know, adjacent to one another. And so she begins to read the question that she wants to ask Oprah. And keep in mind, she's asking Oprah Winfrey a question, right? Like the, what, what a cool thing to be in. And it was one of the most incredible things to see Oprah leans forward. She turns her body to face her, leans forward, puts her, her elbows on her hands, kind of leans in, her eyes go wide, the smile gets big. Keep in mind, she's, she's going to be 70 years old. She's had a career of doing this. And there was such a genuine curiosity and excitement. And you could tell that she was giving this lady everything and it meant everything to her. And so going back to community, the question you asked about community, I really sincerely believe that is such a such an undervalued commodity for any of us who are creating communities, for any of us who are space holders or who aspire to be space holders. And that the more that we can look to give that precious resource of our time, but sincere time, genuine time, not like an afterthought, not a why I'm doing a text message or anything else. I, that's really where communities are formed. It's where communities are nurtured. And it's, I think, where the most obviously the most incredible stuff comes from communities and from that afterwards. So funny that you bring up that example. If people know me well, they know I do not care what anybody thinks or says about me. I've always cared what the people who love think. Uh, and I had yeah. to learn even how to adjust that and tune that out and listen only to me. But I leave my phone in the car. My phone's here because I'm not great with technology and I wanted to introduce you. But otherwise, I'm I'm the one who doesn't. And the people will be like, you missed my call again. You called me back four minutes later. Yeah. But why do you always miss my call? Why does it? But But then when I'm with them, they love that I'm missing someone else's call. <laughs> and it's a joke. It's humor. Um, and my youngest niece is 100% the exact same way. And I tease her too. You missed my call. <laughs> but I love it. And yeah. I love, and the people who know me know I will never, ever forget to return. I'll 100% I'll respond. Every client in crisis Every new client, that's the first thing I tell them because people come to me and say, I called 10 therapists or 10 programs or I went to this grief group and no one did respond. 
Mm. And that's another big problem. So there's a way to do both. Yep. I I love that you do that. I, I practice that as well. And I would recommend for anybody who's kind of in the throes of this, or just as a life practice in general, but especially when you're in the throes of this, that is one of the best behaviors you can engage in because the devices, our devices are not set up to serve us. They're set up to make us servants to them, right? So every time they buzz, beep, ding, or ring, we have conditioned ourselves to learn that whatever is going on in that little device is more important than what's ever going on in our life. And the challenge with it is, is that when we are in that hurtful space and we are desperate for that escape, the information that we can start downloading or the things that we can start reacting to, it can become a distractor and a healing hindrance. And I'm not saying that there's a distraction is a bad thing. There's healthy distraction, right? There can be really healthy distraction. There can be really healthy breaks. But when it becomes something where it's a, we are foregoing the, the important inner soulful work we need to do in the sacred space to engage in you know, whatever political debates going on or argument, we're not even not debates anymore. Let's call them what they are, they're arguments. You know, there's a lot of stuff on there that I think could really steer us down the, the wrong path. And it is such a, I encourage all my clients, cell phones on silent, do not disturb constantly, uh, turn off all notifications. So you should never hear that thing buzz, beep, ding, or ring. If you know what your ringtone is, then you're too attached to your phone. And it brings my heart so much joy when I will message clients and they don't respond back right away. Or if I message them and now it has the, you know, you can see a little notification that says do not disturb mode on. They have that turned on now. Good, good, good. You know, because what you're declaring is, is that whatever's in front of you is more important than whatever's in here. And as it should be, right? This goes back to the whole presence thing. Where, Where is your time going? Where is your energy focused? You also, uh, your healthy outlets, I know our nature, you do plenty of things with community, but also on your own to tune in, to find answers. We live in a world that often looks externally for those things. And while um, some of my answers have been through other communities, um, I learned in those places how to find them within myself. Uh, Your posts are always deep and meaningful and I found in my meditation or in my experience this is what I learned from me um you share what you learn from others but so many of your lessons are from you um how do we help when I was when I was deeply grieving I didn't trust me Mm. I wasn't sleeping um my brain still isn't the same but I didn't think I knew my name. I didn't know up from down. So I certainly turned to those I loved and trusted the most. Um, And there's a pivotal moment where what they answered wasn't what my body was telling me. And then I said, "Uh -uh uh-oh, now what? Yeah. Gosh, that's such such an important piece of this. Let me break this into chunks. I have developed over the years now, having gone through a number of different losses, a, for lack of a better word, it's my, it's my, 
like I, the funny part of me, the sarcastic part of the humorous parts of me thinks of it. It's like the, it's the, it's in the movies where you see the do not push button and you have to break the glass and you only push it in case of emergencies. It's my oh shit button. And I hit that oh shit button whenever I go through a loss. And what that button means for me is I, I block everything out for at least a week. So I give myself a week where I will, you know, cancel anything that is, unless it's absolutely essential, I cancel anything else miscellaneous. And for that week, I, I change up my routine because I'm, even though I'm really comfortable talking about stuff, I, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm very open with vulnerable sharing. It's important for me to really honor the visceralness of those early feelings. And so that is me, you know, crying on the couch, curled up in a ball. My comfort food is Eggo waffles and peanut butter and jelly. So I eat lots of those. I, you know, watching the stupidest shows on Netflix, dumber the better. I'm talking like Sharknado 8 because the less IQ points it requires, it means the more I can just focus on the drool going down my face and honoring like the hurt in my heart. I'll switch up routines so I can make sure I have some of that reflective time. So I, I, I will still always exercise even through the pain, but I'll go to a different gym. I'll go to it on a different time because I want to minimize my interaction with others to really maximize my reflection within self. Because I, you're absolutely right. That is, there's, there's a point where you can love. And I'm so blessed to have so many people in my life who I love and treasure. And they are just so incredible people. Some of those people were those folks who, you know, back when I went through that first month of breakup, oh, just get back out there. You need to start dating more. But that didn't feel right to me. That wasn't real for me because I knew that if I did that, I was just going to be right back where I was then. But, you know, a couple more years on the road, it's like kicking the can down the road. And especially with, with a death, because with a death, you're really because of the finality with it, you're really reassessing your life and having to look at, well, all of these things in life where I had prioritized this piece of life with this person, that's not going to be a physical possibility in the way that we had initially conceived it. So you have to really reorganize that and reassess that for yourself. And so much that comes from within. And so that eternal piece, there's, there's, I think what the heart knows and what the mind says. Now, what the mind might say is, and this is where we need to be really, really cautious of, and I recommend keeping a pen and paper next by not using the computer, not going on technology because we can go down crazy rabbit holes there, but using a pen and paper. And so the mind will say things like, especially when we're really deep in the throes of it, I will never, because the mind likes to operate in generalizations, right? I will never... I will never, I want this, I want this. And that just compounds the emotional pain. And so part of that reflection, part of what the heart knows is we have to sit with that and say, I can recognize I might think that right now, but is that really true for me? Right? And that's where we get hope. That's where we get space to heal. The other piece of that is, I think that's really important to look at too. And with the internal reflections, I, I really, I I consider myself a student of humanity, right? I'm fascinated by the human experience. And the human experience is not what we see on social media, typically. It's not the, you know, filtered out photos. It's not the nice cars, the exotic vacations, those kinds of things. Humanity is walking out your front door, going into your neighborhood or into your yard or whatever it is, and watching people just do their thing, just do life. And I, I find that absolutely fascinating because when you really slow down and just observe humanity from that standpoint, because 
for me, one of the things I've always struggled so much with loss is that feeling of, it's almost like a, it's a anger in a way that my life has stopped, but everybody else just keeps moving. And you're like, wait, how can you not understand that the world has stopped turning right now? And and you're just carrying on your life. Like nothing's wrong. Like what, what do you mean? You're, you're worried about what the Kardashians did. How is that even relevant to this right now? But when you really slow down and study humanity from the place of like, why are, why are people doing what they're doing? What do they want? What matters to them in life? What I absolutely find incredible, and this is where I think a lot of hope and inspiration can come from, is you'll see people laughing and smiling over simple little things. And when you are someone who you're in the throes of hurt, when you're in the depths of grief and you are looking for some sort of lifeline out, to be able to go outside and just watch people doing simple little stuff, it reminds you that you still have capacity to do simple little stuff. I really believe that healing happens or it begins in the in-between moments. And these in-between moments are those moments that come in between the, 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 the tidal wave of grief, the, the tornado of despair. It's when you, you've just finished crying your eyes out so much that your face is hurt and that your nose is raw. And then you take that breath. And in that breath, you feel something different. It's just in a moment. It's in between. Maybe the next storm comes. It's almost like, you know, all of us have been there before where we have to pee so bad and we're just, all we can think about our whole world is about peeing, peeing, peeing. We're consumed by it. And we're just thinking, oh my God, my bladder is going to explode. And then you finally get to the toilet and there's that wave of relief that comes afterwards. That That's kind of what those in-between moments are. And those in-between moments are those moments where you have the space to start to consider something different than the moment that preceded it and the moment that will come afterwards. Those are really where the seeds of healing, I think, are planted and where we can start to nurture them. And the nurturing happens by just observing humanity, observing and seeing that person on the street and saying, wow, they're smiling right now watching the dog play. Maybe I can smile right now watching the dog play. And those small things, right? Because our our, our loved ones, they, they have great intentions. They have good advice. But something so big as, well, you know, maybe you should think about moving. Right. Maybe you should look at redecorating. Maybe you should, you know, they're too big, especially early on. It is, it is, this work is done with tender step after tender step. It's about being gentle with yourself. Your superpower is grace and giving yourself the grace to realize that, you know, on any given day, our society, we love to sit there and tout, give it 100%, give it 110% and all that kind of stuff. Right. That's what we're supposed to do. But really, on any given day, you might only be at 20%. And that might be a good day. And that if you can give 100% of that 20%, well, hey, you you did amazing that day. And that's plenty enough. And give yourself the grace to allow that to be. And that grace might just be, again, watching the, the, watching the person outside smile at their dog. And, and maybe you, you give yourself, you venture the risk of forming a smile too. Just be with that and allow that to be enough. I tell my clients that, you know, some of what I tell them is not because I'm so wise, right? Like I was just hurting so much um, that I did things that I figured out along the way. And exactly what you said, um, I like the smell of coffee. I don't drink it that much. I drink it once in a while and nature was healing. So I would go out at the time I only had sassy. We would go find somewhere new in Colorado. And then I'd go to 
any new coffee place as an adventure. Like what, yeah. what can I find? Um, babies. I would tell people, even they weren't my closest friends, but there were some people in my world, my nieces. At the, I had one who's, she's 10 now, but she was a baby. Um, can I, can you bring over your babies? If you have friends with babies, let me be around them. Um, because you hear a baby laugh or cry. Yeah. It makes you smile. Um, so I, th these were the things when people said, what, what would lift you up? Babies and puppies, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so we can think about those things. What naturally makes you 1% less in pain? Um, I have a lot of clients that will end up doing that. Even just going to the Humane Society, you don't have to volunteer, some will. Or a hospital, being around other people. And we we do end up wanting to help for whatever reason, helping when we're hurting, Um, you do that. It is, this picture makes me think of your, we haven't even talked about your biggest, the loss that led to, but this picture makes me think of your day. Oh, it's um, awesome. Like it's a balloon floating away. I love that. That's beautiful. Uh, um, and it just makes, I mean, that's kind of similar to your concept. Sunrise, sunset day. Um, but some people do that, make something and let it go to the sky because that's where, you know, my, my dad's dad, my papa told me to look up at the sky at night. And when I see the stars, that's where my mom's dad would be who I could talk to. So we find comfort in our own ways, but what is sunrise sunset day? I, I really believe that all of us have a purpose or purposes in life. I think maybe it's not necessarily exclusive to one. There might be multiple ones and those ones might show up in different ways in different phases of life. And I think that purpose is usually discovered in one of two places, ultimate pain or ultimate pleasure. And I think for many of us, if we do life right, it's going to show up in the painful places because that usually shines a light on some of the work we need to do both internally and then offer it up and share with the world. I have been through numerous losses now in my life. And when I had lost my, one of the first really traumatic losses I went through is one of my closest friends took his life to suicide. I found him when he was still alive, you know, went through that whole, that whole horrible experience with it, trying to save him everything. And then a couple months after my friend had died, my dad died unexpectedly. He had, dad had had colon cancer, very advanced colon cancer went through the chemo, reached for the radiation, the whole thing goes into his follow-up appointment. Doctor looks in the eye, shakes his hand. Mike, congratulations, you're cancer-free. You did it. You've earned more time. You'll have your whole life in front of you. And two weeks after that, dad dropped dead. I was in such a... And in between that, uh, the girlfriend who I was with at the time broke up with me because she couldn't handle me being sad. She she didn't know how to handle it. You're going back to some of the people in her life. They just can't quite conceptualize what it's like. And it's it's no fault of their own. They just haven't necessarily had the experience or maybe they don't have the, the skill set or the path that you do. I was in such a disarray that I found myself just really struggling, you know, struggling to find my smile, struggling to find joy in the simplest things, struggling to find meaning in life like so many of us have been. As you mentioned earlier, one of the places I always go to heal is nature. And I was going on this, 
hike with some friends because I had decided I was going to climb Mount Whitney. And it's just some sort of physical challenge, something to do, something I could kind of physically work through stuff. And when we were, we had gone this hike and then we were driving over to Dave and Buster's and I had mentioned, I'd never been to Dave and Buster's before. And they, oh, you never been to Dave and Buster's before? No, I've never been to Dave and Buster's before. What else have you never done? So we started talking this conversation about what have you never done? And I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be cool to do, you know, something I've never done before once a week, every week. And then they said, well, you should try to do a hundred things. And I said, no, I should try to do a thousand things. And it, this conversation turned into this thing of creating this challenge for myself to do a thousand things I'd never done before in one calendar year under the premise of really focusing on finding happiness again, focusing on healing. And I did it and I wanted to do it thematically to honor Gabe, my friend who took his life and my dad, because I knew they wouldn't want me to be sad and down and in despair because of them. They'd want me to be, they'd want me when I thought of them to live life more fully, to live it more experientially. And so a couple of things with this, just let's look at strategy first. Uh, when we have big ideas that we know feel good, but they can be scary. One of the best things you can do is share it with other people right away because it brings accountability in, right? There's a statistic that says you're 75 or 90% more probable to accomplish a goal if you share it with other people because now you have accountability. So I shared it, but then what I also did, and this is the sweet spot, is I invited people to offer suggestions because then, again, we're more likely to not follow through with ourselves than we are other people. That's why they only say that if you're going to make a New Year's resolution to start going to the gym in the morning, you're not a gym goer, make it a point to go with somebody else because when we wake up and it's it's dark 30 and it's cold, we will much likely be to pull the covers back over ourselves if we have nobody waiting for us. But if we know that Samantha is waiting for us at the gym, we don't want to let her down. So I did both of those things and it ended up, people were supportive. I And the, the thing with the thousand challenge was, is it wasn't going to be just a bucket list year where I was going to take a year off. And I had to do this in context with work. I had to work normal hours, all these things. And I wanted to try to do as many of the experiences free or, or little cost as possible. Cause I wanted it to be a model for other people to do that. You can, you can live with intention. You could seek new things. And the newness was really important because it's a, it's breaking the pattern, right? One of the challenges with a death is we don't realize how deeply ingrained that person or people are in our lives, that so many of our habits, routines revolve around these core people in our lives. And when that person or persons are removed, suddenly the habits and routines don't seem to make sense. And what we run through instead is everything we run through because we're running through the normal day-to-day -day routine. It reminds us of those people. And then with it, it brings the waves of grief and all that stuff that comes with it. So to intentionally go about doing something different, what I was also telling myself is I need to carve out something new for myself in life. I need to allow myself this gift of experiencing life from a different perspective. Not because I want to forget Gabe, not because I'm going to forget my dad, but because I love them so much that I want to honor them. And I know this is the work they'd want me to do. To make a long story short, that year I ended up doing over a thousand, I think it was a thousand and twenty-two new things I'd never done before. And everybody would always ask, well, what was your favorite thing you did? <clears throat> and the the movement, the movement, if you want to call it that, started to pick up steam on social media. And we started to get this global community that would form around it. And I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be cool to create an event where we invited people to take a picture of the sunrise or sunset from wherever they were in the world? And then we could share it. And it would be this neat thing where we could watch the world, the 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 world wake up and go to sleep. And I didn't really have expectations of it other than that. You know, I just thought, okay, we'll put it out there. And that first year we had, I think it was 30, it was almost 30 countries, 
40 states, you know, several hundred people from all around the world. We saw the sunrise and sunset over the Eiffel Tower, over Big Ben in London, around different parts of some beautiful river in Thailand, you know, all sorts of incredible places. And it was such this amazing, amazing experience that just filled my heart. And I thought this would be a really neat tradition to keep going. My best friend at the time was out of town and I sent him the video and, you know, they had been used to me doing the thousand challenge and doing all sorts of weird stuff. And so when I sent him the video, he's kind of like, Oh, here's just another one, Jesse stings. But he called me afterwards. He said, Hey, I'm staying around with some friends and we all stopped to watch this. And this is really special. Like this is, this is incredible. This is really neat. And because what was not just neat about was the pictures, but people talking about what it meant to them to participate. Well, fast forward two years after that, and my best friend was killed in a car crash. And when he died, it was such a, a disruptor because this is, you know, we were together all the time, did everything together. I mean, it was it was funny. Like if somebody needed to find one of us, they just called the other one, you know, that kind of relationship. Traveled together the whole bit. And he and I had he and I had just had such a really cool special relationship. And when it was coming up on the first year anniversary of his death, I really wanted to do something to special to honor and celebrate him. But what I also wanted to do is he had, he had launched this nonprofit before he died. It was his baby. It was his passion project. I wanted to raise money for the nonprofit to support, to help keep it going. And I thought, wouldn't it be neat if we migrated sunrise sunset day over and instead of it having it just be about the sunrises and sunsets, it, it it turned into an event where it was about people really celebrating and honoring loved ones they've lost and then making a point to, you know, do some sort of good or raise money for a cause or organization that's passionate about them. The first year, the first two years, it was really focused on his organization, but it's involved to that. So anyways, that first one we had, gosh, I... There were so many people. I think it ended up being over 12,000 people participated because I remember it took me it took me almost a full month to download all the photos that were sent in. And that was putting in, you know, two, three hours a day, every day. It We had over 10, 10 or 12,000 people participate. We had over 110 countries. We had all seven continents, even Antarctica. There was a research group in Antarctica that submitted photos. We raised, gosh, I don't even know, probably a couple hundred thousand dollars for nonprofit that year. And what was really, really special about it was because again, now this was framed about taking a moment to really reflect on and honor your loved one. Oh my God, Samantha, people were writing in and it was one of the first times they would write in about how it was one of the first times they had, they allowed themselves to just sit in quiet with themselves. It was one of the first times they'd allowed themselves to go and really stop and appreciate the sunrise or sunset since you know, you fill in the blank, their kid died, their husband died, their wife died, their mom died, their uncle died, their dog died, the whole gamut. Or there's others that were going through different losses too, since their wife had left them, since they had lost their job, since they had broken, since they had broken their leg and they were kicked out of the sport they had played their whole life and their whole identity was shot. And they were saying that there was just this catharticness that came with it or healing, or some of them were talking about these special conversations they were having, you know, as they spoke to the ethers or wherever that was for them as they were watching the sunrise and set. It was so powerful that now it's evolved into an annual event where every year on September 12th, people from all over the world are invited to take a photo of the sunrise or sunset from wherever they are. 
I set up the whole event and they share it on social media. And then we encourage people to do uh, perform an act of kindness in honor of their loved one and or donate to a nonprofit organization that their loved one would be passionate about. So to date, we've had, again, tens of thousands of people from more than 120 countries, all seven continents, all 50 states participate. We've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for various nonprofits and organizations around the world. And it, honest to God, it's my favorite holiday. It is such a beautiful thing to see the world wake up and go to sleep, but to see more than anything, people share how much that event means to them and how special it's become for them. And now it's, it's this whole thing where people really, they make September 12th about finding a moment to talk with this loved one they've lost. You know, it's almost like a second birthday for that person, but it's really this just beautiful thing. And you get these letters every year that come in about how healing and cathartic it is. And it goes back to that thing about, you know, pain is often the pathway to purpose. It may not seem like it at all, I think it's Tony Robbins that said, you want to figure out how to make your life incredible, find a way to make your worst day your best day. And there is something in there right now for any of you who are watching, listening, and you're in that depth of it, you're hurting. I promise you that there is some purpose to this pain. It's there. And it may come up in a way I never thought sunrise, sunset would be something. It may come up in a way that you wouldn't even imagine, but just trust that, lean into it ask the questions, trust what's going on inside of you, the feelings, your heart, your gut, whatever that is, your intuition source, whatever your belief system is, and it will lead you to someplace extraordinarily, extraordinarily special. Um, I love that day that it falls often. Blues and Brews is a, a big festival here in Colorado that Jim loves in Telluride. Um, so one year it was during that. Um, and so, he, and we, I still write letters to him um, and mm. we would do things with like message in a bottle. So I've done it where I write something, put it in the water, but I've seen people do it where there is a balloon in the sky or there's so much, you know, you oh, can cool. add your own twist to it. Yeah. Um, but there's so many ways that it become the pain. Like I cry still every day, but I'm not in a ball on the couch. Like you said, um, in fetal position uncontrollably and the loss of a best friend, um, Jim's fraternity and his best friends hurt as much as I do and they get it. And the fact that I have them, his family, it, they're his family. Mm -hmm. um, and so knowing that I can call them, even though they're guys, <laughs> um, like that's also that's also something for me that's helped me get through it, knowing um they go on trips that he mm. like that would have been with him. You that's know, awesome. And, you know, he's coming. <laughs> We're borrowing yeah. him this week. And I'm like, okay, you think so, but he's still here with me. <laughs> um and that's seriously a major loss that isn't talked about enough. Um, I think that people minimize and think it's only the spouse or only the parent or child. Uh, and his best friends are in as much pain as I am. They had him longer than I did, actually. Um, you know, yeah. and I say all the time, I'm so envious that you, you know, please tell me more of the stories. And and days like this, it shouldn't be more acceptable, but people feel safer. 
Um, and again, it's why an awareness calendar can can help. It's not about the calendar. It's about what do we do with the days? How can we take a day like this and use it to share and talk and 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 be there for people who have had losses and say, tell me your favorite story mm -hmm. or, um, you know, what did you do last year? What are you going to do this year? Um, picking up the phone and being there for someone who's had a loss can be the biggest gift for them. You know, I live alone yeah. with my dog. So someone knowing that and saying, this could be a hard day or week, let me be there for you. That is a huge gift. And if a calendar makes you think of it more because I'm approaching six years and look fine on the outside, you know, that's big. The world doesn't see that we still hurt. It is, and you, you mentioned that that comparison word, right? Talking about, and I so appreciate you acknowledging that about how much his friends hurt and the equivalence. When I, when I first, I was, when I realized I had lost enough people that I had started to form strategy around it, right? And I was, I was figuring out ways to deal with it, cope, all those things. Again, it wasn't, it wasn't by design or desire. It was just life had throttled me enough where I had to figure something out because there was going to, there wasn't looking very good beyond that otherwise. And when that had happened, I was really excited to share it. It's like, you know, anytime we learn something new, we want to go share it with other people because we think it'll help. I was shocked at the, some of the pushback I got from it because people would misinterpret it and turn it into a comparison. Well, this isn't the same as this, and this isn't the same as that. And how can you say this? And, and that can be the tendency and also hindrance that some of us have. Well, they've they've they haven't lost the same way I have. They haven't gone through what I have. Well, their person died this way and my person died this way. Comparison truly is a thief of joy in all aspects of life and in none other than none more so than in this, because it will it will spin a story for you that will be so isolating that it will compound despair, grief, and everything that comes with it, and it will. It will dig a pit that is so deep that it feels impossible to ever get out of it. The truth is, is that while there may be some details that might be different, you know, there might be circumstances, some different love is love. Uh, grief like love, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't hold prejudice. It doesn't hold hostage one way or the other, nor does it care. And what we feel is what we feel. It's part of the human experience. And so when our hearts are broken for whatever that is, it's not for us to judge or assess why someone's is broken and how theirs may not be broken the same way our mind's more broken or less broken than theirs. What it is, and this is one of the beautiful opportunities of humanity, is to look at it and say, gosh, her heart has been broken too. She understands something about me, and I understand something about her that maybe others don't. I, I should reach out. I should connect. And that's where healing happens. That's where our growth happens. That's where communities can be formed. That's where connections can be solidified. It's to recognize that somebody else hurting and somebody else feeling and somebody else being sad doesn't diminish the significance of yours. What it does is it suggests that, again, we started this talking about you're not alone. It, it's a reminder, a gentle reminder, albeit, that you're not alone in this, that other people have, have felt, have been there, are there right now. And that, again, healing is a, it's a team sport. If you will be willing to extend a hand, there will be others who will be there with open arms and open hearts to grab it and help guide you forward. 
I know you have to run. Thank you so much for making time uh, and sharing everything. I do want to touch quickly, finding someone, having to make the call, try to save. Um, there are people who have had those experience who have seen crazy, traumatic things. I just had to see CPR and mm. I can't watch certain things anymore. Any okay. medical, show, you know, so what would I'm you sure. say to people as far as steps to take? Uh, flashbacks, nightmares. Yep. That's a great question. Talk to someone. You even if you think you're okay, talk to someone. I I remember that next morning I reached out to a therapist who I had worked with previously. And, and not because I thought I was I was it was more so because I thought I have never been through this before. I need to talk about this right now just to make sure. And I went to him and said, told him what had happened and said, you know, I'm part of the reason I'm here is because I've never been through this before. And I just don't know, you know, we, human experience is so fascinating, right? Remember we, our identity is formed where emotion is often the strongest. And with things like this, when it's an experience you've never had before, you want to really be cautious about sitting with it by yourself because we just don't know where that germinates within. And it's, it's so healthy and helpful to talk to other people. So number one, I'd always reach out and talk to someone, but make it a safe space. If you don't feel as comfortable talking about some of your family members, friends, again, they love us, they're great people, but they may be the best qualified. I'd really recommend reaching out to somebody who's qualified, somebody who's in the space, somebody who's been there before, uh, you know, great therapist, counselor, coach is going to be invaluable for things like this. Well, the second thing is, is when the flashbacks happen, if they happen, it's, it doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It just means that's part of your process. You know, we have, they, we always talk about fight or flight and there's another thing that's called freeze. And where we differentiate from our animal or furry or fairy fellow animals of the planet is they do something quite remarkable is that when they go through something traumatic, they get attacked. They, they, you know, a tiger tries to poach the deer, whatever that is they are able to freeze, get through that space, and then they get up and shake it off. They physically shake off and remove the emotion. That's why they go back from traumatic experience to back to grazing. It's not that they have, they just forget the experience. It's that their their physiology, their biology has built this beautiful way for them to release trauma right away. We don't necessarily have that response. And logically, it doesn't make sense to us to do it, especially after we've gone through something like that. So number one, talking to people. Number two, doing something physical to help you release it when it comes up. So exercising is great. If it's in the middle of the night, you wake up and it pops up in the night, roll out of bed and do some push-ups. You know, get up and pace around your room, do some sit-ups, do some bodyweight squats. It doesn't sound great, but I can't tell you how many times I've woken up in the middle of the night, I've gone to the gym because it's better to go to the gym and physically release the feeling than it is to sit there with it and turn it into meaning something, right? Humans are meaning makers. We're always making something mean something. And those meanings that we decide, those meanings that we make, they're going to be largely influential on how our life unfolds. So so number one, talking to somebody. Number two, exercising. And then number three, you know, we've, we talked about that word grace, giving yourself grace. You know, there, there is no, there is no blueprint for a timeline that that stuff stops or any of those types of things or when the feeling will dissipate, but trusting in that if you do the first two, and you do it consistently, 
it will get better and it will improve. And so giving yourself grace for why you allow time and other two to help affect the course. Thank you so, so much. Where do people connect with you, um, especially if this resonates and they want to work with you or learn more? Yeah, just online, uh, everywhere it's my name. You can find me on websites there, social media, it's all those things. Just pop in and say hi. I would love to love to say hello. And, and Smith, thank you so much for, again, making the time, fitting me in and holding space for this important work. It's it's truly extraordinary what you've, what you've done and what you're doing right now and what you'll continue to do. Thank you for being such a bright light and helping guide somebody else through their dark times. Thank you. Safe travels. I'll be in touch. And uh, thank you for everything you do. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening today. Your support means everything to me, truly. If this podcast resonates with you, please do me a favor and join in the Ruthless Movement by making some noise and doing one of these four things. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Tell a friend so we can break stigmas even faster. Leave a review so people can see what you think of the show. And last, if you want to learn more about me and be a part of the Grief Hub community, please head on over to the Facebook group. We'd love to have you. Thanks again for spending your time with us and see you next week.